know we're the ones that forget that. I thank you that when we come into your presence, we can have fun together, we can laugh together, but we can also be real with each other and with you. I just pray that today, that maybe some burdens have been lifted, that maybe we walked in carrying something and we weren't even expecting to lay some of it down, but we tried to. Father, for the, the families, for the the individual struggles, for the difficulties that were shared today. I just pray that you would take those things, that you would redeem those things, that we we will be reminded, God, that you don't work best when we are strong. You work best when we are weak and surrendered. And we just pray that you would remind us of that. Thank you that this is a safe place, that we can just be ourselves, that we don't have to put on airs, that we don't have to put on masks, that we can really just be ourselves in front of you, and that that's all that you want that you just want us the same way that we want you. May we be filled today with your presence. We ask this all through Jesus, and the church together said, amen. Go ahead and take a seat this morning. Um, and it's kind of an odd thing when a group of M&Ms on stage, uh, you know, share testimony and uh, say, somebody said, what happened at church yesterday? Well, I was prayed over by an M&M. <laughs> People, I'm not going to know what kind of church you just, uh, that you just went to, but uh, hopefully it's fun. I was a bit late in coming in here this morning because I was back there uh, watching all your kids. And let me just be honest, uh, some of the costumes are amazing. Uh, and some of the costumes, like my own child, my youngest child, is dressed as the devil today. And uh, Haley and I talked about that, and we were like, well, if the shoe fits, I mean, just, uh, just get there. So we're just being honest with you today. Uh, we need a lot of prayer for that one. Let's be honest. Uh, she's a real, real mess. And uh, you might ask, why, why am I not wearing a costume? A lot of you are, are saying, but I want you to see what I have on under this. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally <laughs> Listen, onesies are cool, okay? <laughs> don't, uh, I don't care what you say. I did uh, high-five a lot of your kids walking in today, and I did tell them one thing, and I said, whatever candy you get today, you have to eat today. If you love Jesus, you'll eat all your candy. And they all nodded and smiled. So if you want to know where that came from, it was from me. And uh, you are welcome. We just want to love you and your families and really encourage diabetes as a church together. So, uh, so thank you for being here and being a part of that. Um, we're going to be in, uh, we're in, we're in a study on, uh, on Thessalonians. There's no nice way to transition that. Hey, we're in Thessalonians. Uh, so we're in Thessalonians. And last week we talked about chapter 1 a little bit. And uh, the writers, the authors, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they give this really amazing affirmation. And uh, we kind of ended our sermon time last week with an, an affirmation that I hope you heard. And that was that you keep being an awesome church. You know, sometimes we go to church and we feel a little beat up uh, or we feel guilty or we, we are reminded of all the things we do wrong. Um, but there's some beautiful words of affirmation in 1 Thessalonians 1 that, that really tells the church, listen, you're doing good. And we need to focus on what you're doing good and stop just focusing on only the bad things that happen uh, in, in our world. You know, you know there, there is power in affirmation. If you uh, look around or if you're a part of something, affirmation is a big deal. It's something we don't do enough of. And I'm not sure if, if you're like us because we have kids and we're raising our kids and your kids annoy you more than they, you know, please you, shall we be honest. Um, but sometimes you get those grades right in the folder that come home. Okay, 94, 94, 100, 73. What's that about? You know, and we, we tend to focus on the worst thing rather than affirming all the good that is going on as well. No, 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 you know, we have to help with the, the things that they're struggling with, maybe the stuff we're struggling with. But there's power in affirming what people are doing well also. 
if you have ever studied anything uh, in counseling, something uh, many years ago was talked about. It talked about love languages and how we give and receive love. And the top of that list was always words of affirmation. And then some people, works of service. So guys, if you're doing the dishes, your wife noticed that, and that's, uh, that's a big deal. Well, some people like to get gifts. On anniversaries, you better, I better get something, you know, that's, you know, got a nice big bow on it and everything else. I tried that with myself once. didn't quite work. Haley said, no, nope, want a different kind of gift. So I was like, okay. Um, but, you know, quality time together, spending time together. Don't you find, as families, that's one that's missing. We're, we're ships passing in the night with all the activities and work and kids and, and all the rest of it. That spending quality time together is something that's lost. And then connection or touch that obviously has different contexts depending on where you are. But relationships need affirmation. Whether it's your marriage, your parenting, friendships, maybe your workplace. When was, when was the last time you looked at your kids or at your spouse and said, you're doing a good job? We need to say that more. Hey, you matter to me. You have, you have value. I'm glad that I'm married to you. I'm glad that we're doing this together. I'm glad that we're in this together. This is a valuable thing that we should say. And we don't often affirm each other very much. We're like, well, we're together and we're here, so we, we're just going to keep going. Stop and take time and tell them how valuable they are to you. Yes, it's okay to get on to your kids for, for difficult moments or bad grays, but affirm that you love them, that, that they're a gift from God, that that will go a long way with your children. Words of affirmation is where uh, First Timothy, First uh, Thessalonians, sorry, chapter 2 kind of begins. And, and the authors of this are sharing some continued affirming words with this church, and they're words that we can hear as well today. Also, I just want you to notice how many times some sort of family language comes, comes up. The, the authors use a lot of family language very intentionally in this text, and maybe you'll pick some of it up as well. But in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 1, the authors say to the church, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously at Philippi. I love that he just calls out another church, like, hey, they were awful to us. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Obviously, gospel means the good news about Jesus. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask. And I loved reading this this week, thinking, with the last couple of years, the word mask really has taken on a new meaning, and the fact that today is the 31st of October and kids are wearing masks. I thought, wow, isn't it amazing? Uh, Paul's not talking about any of those things. He's not anti-mask. That's not what he's saying. Uh, he is just saying we didn't cover up. We, we presented ourselves honestly. We were truthful about who we are. We didn't, we, we didn't kind of try to pull the wool over your eyes or pretend to be something that we're not. We didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, nor from anyone else, or even from you. <laughs> but through the apostles of Christ, we could have, we could have asserted our, our authority, but we, but we didn't, is what he's really saying. What, pa what Paul and the other writers are saying here is, here are our intentions. When we came to you as a church, we were not trying to put on airs. We were not trying to pretend about who we were. 
We came to you and we preached the gospel through suffering and through struggle and through hardship. It wasn't an easy thing for us. And you know, if you do any kind of study about how the gospel unfolds in the New Testament, you see that the gospel is hard. It's kind of funny because it's actually a very simple word that God has done immeasurable things to be in relationship with you. It's such an affirming story, yet it's not an easy one to live out. And if somebody told you, hey, if you come to Jesus, you'll never struggle with anything or never have any problems, they lied to you. Maybe not intentionally, but they did. Because when Jesus calls his disciples, he says to them, listen, if you follow me, people are not going to like you. They're not going to affirm you. In fact, they're going to try and kill you. And you need to know that because the gospel is costly. It's costly for the speaker. It's costly also for those you hear. There's a cost involved with this. It's going to have sacrifice, maybe ultimate sacrifice tied to it because the gospel itself is a story based on sacrifice. But the gospel is rewarding. Those who commit their lives to it, it is rewarding. And that is the the word that is being shared with this church. If we pick up in verse 7, it says, Here's some family language, so so look for it. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, there it is again, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. We know from history that Paul was a tent maker and that he would earn money on the side so that when he went to a church, he would never have to just be be covered by them because they were also struggling. He always worked hard so that he was not a burden on anybody else. It says, you are witnesses, verse 10, and so is God of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believe. What we know about Paul is that anytime there's this grouping of three things, it usually references something about God because Trinity is three and we understand those things. But he says these words, words that we probably wouldn't say about ourselves. We are holy and righteous and blameless. What he says is we we lived our lives differently and we did what was right and nobody can accuse us of taking advantage of anyone, which is actually a beautiful way to live out the story of God. Verse 11, for you know... That we dealt with each of you as a father, there's that family language again, deals with his own children. Here's another three, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. (coughs) Fathers, what should you do with your kids? You should encourage them, comfort them, urge them, lead them. He calls you into his kingdom and glory. (coughs) The appeal through family language is found in 1 Thessalonians. What he's also telling people is this. The church is a family. Yes, it's a dysfunctional stepfamily at best. (laughs) But it's a family. We care about each other. We love each other. When one of us struggles, we all struggle. When one of us shares, we all share in it. Our world tells us, no, no, you can't trust anybody. There's no such thing as family. It's constantly trying to break that down. And yet Paul is appealing and he's saying, listen, you are a family. Let's finish it out, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. Verse 13. We also thank God continually, 
Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is intended to work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, there it is again, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered for your own people the same thing that those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned, another family image, by being separated from you for a short time, in person but not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. And we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did. I mean, what a great way to throw your co-authors under the bus. I don't know about Silas and Timothy, but I wanted to come. Just want to put that in there, just so that you know. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. The authors are sharing this story and talking about the suffering of belief. I don't think we tell people this enough. Not, not as, a, as a place of baggage, but to say, listen, if you want to believe in a story that is bigger than you, it's going to require something, and sometimes it's going to lead you down a road of suffering. The, 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 they're living in a time with, with incredible oppression politically. You, you know what that's like? For people to be, feel politically oppressed? It happens all the time. In fact, during the, the reign of Caligula, the Caesar here, he, he was actually a really good emperor for about six months, and then he got sick. And some people, based on what we know now, say that something, obviously, he got an infection in his brain, and he kind of went a bit nuts. And he sort of did awful things, and he persecuted the church, but then he started persecuting his own people. There's a time when he ran out of Christians to kill in the Colosseum, so he just took a section of, his, of all of his own people and threw them down. He was an awful leader, and there was great suffering and turmoil. But there were people that came to Christ because they had watched the Christians suffer at their hand, and now that Caligula was doing these things to them, suddenly they saw value in them. They found freedom in Christ. That's what they, that's what they found. That's what they saw. It's amazing how these things go together, how difficulty and freedom go together, how pain and joy about suffering and blessing. So many of our songs are about the bo both the sides of these things and how we learn to see these things. And maybe the question that Paul is asking the church and the one that I want to ask us today is what gives you hope and joy or a sense of reward? What is it in your life that helps you uh, to, to feel positive and good? You know, we just, we've been so conditioned to see the worst things in our lives. If, if something bad is going on with you, that's what we focus on. And we miss everything else. And Paul is telling the church here, you are God's pride and joy. You are God's greatest possession. You are the thing that he wants the most. You want him and nothing else. He wants you and nothing else. There's power in that. And yet we're the ones that forget it. We've got to learn to see what is called collateral beauty in the world. 
What that means is when bad things happen, we've got to stop focusing only on the bad thing in front of us. You know, when you become a pastor, one of the things that they don't tell you, or they don't tell you a lot, is you're going to bury a lot of people. You're going to do a lot of funerals. And you're going to have to sometimes separate yourself from some of those things. I, I, I never kept count of funerals, but I probably, I don't know, three to four hundred maybe. I have this weird thing, and I don't know why I do it. I just do, every time I do a funeral, there's a part of my brain that says, I wonder who I'll bury next. And in this room today, I've buried some of your parents, maybe grandparents. Maybe I've buried your spouse or sibling even buried some of your children. And yet in all of those stories, there's one thing that is common. And that is that that moment is the focus for a little while. But then when we step back, we start to see the collateral beauty. We know what collateral damage is. But in our lives, we have to sometimes step back and see the bigger picture. I'm always amazed at how quickly people laugh and smile after funerals. It's not because they're dismissive of what they've lost. It's because they hopefully recognize that the world is bigger than the here and now. And Paul is encouraging this church to see their lives that way. I'm not display, uh, downplaying maybe something that you're going through. You, after grief, there's... There's a period of darkness, a time when you're just kind of in a funk and you can't really get out of it. But over time, what, what we try to do is encourage people just to take a few steps back and try to see the bigger picture. You know, God didn't just make this world functionally and say, hey, this is how everything works. He made this world beautiful. And I think mountains and trees, of which we have none around here, are meant to be reminders when your kids come out of worship, out of, out of kids' ministry today, do you think they're going to be mad? They're going to get in the car and go, well, that was a bus. No. They're going to be smiling, crying, sugar, comatose. I mean, I don't know. Kids see beauty. And as we grow older, we stop seeing it. We have to learn to see it again. We have to learn to see God in the big picture. Maybe right now in your life, maybe your marriage is really just awful. And you're, you're upset things. Or maybe your kids are just having a hard season. Or maybe at work, you hate your boss or your boss hates you. It's so easy for us to just focus on that to miss all the things that God is doing. For the church in Thessalonica, it was suffering. They were going through hard times. And Paul reminds them, listen, it's not just about that. It's about what God is doing. He's not done yet. If you have air in your lungs, you have the capacity for joy. If you have a thought in your brain, you have the capacity for hope. 
God can use you. God still wants to use you. No matter how broken you think you are, God sees beauty where you see brokenness. We just need to be reminded of that from time to time. So as we started with words of affirmation, I hope you hear God's affirmation in you in the midst of that. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. And God has great plans for you. But he's just waiting for you to look up. So maybe today you do. Father, thank you that we can be in this place together. Thank you that we can share some good stories. Thank you that we can have some laughs. God, I pray today that when we see our kids, when we see our families, when we see our spouse, that we will have new, fresh eyes to see them. That we will see them the way you see them, as beautiful and wonderful. Father, the world tries to tries to dominate our views by teaching us to focus on negative things. But I just pray today that we would see your collateral beauty, that we would see your big picture, that you would give us a glimpse behind the curtain. May we not be blocked by the enemy, but may we see your face and find joy and hope and peace. We thank you for our time today as we continue to worship, as we continue to to give you praise. Would you just hear the cry of our hearts? We pray through Jesus.